Fuck pain, fuck heartbreak. I'm still in love with life. From the multicultural headquarters of the future capital of the free-thinking states of America known as Los Angeles, this is the Drunken Dows Podcast. Tonight, a fresh dose of Richard Bellelli to help smooth your entry into fall that includes a Tarantino film review, further contemplation on modern tribes, having the first birthday drawn in the Vietnam draft, the incredible tale of an amazingly effective sniper, freakout tents, Hako the taco-eating dog, and the most romantic couple of our times. Here we go. And now, asking you all to spread the words that corporations are not persons, I'm Rich Evers. And my partner in crime, the savage philosopher and middle figure of the gods, Daniele Bolelli. As we invite you to lower the lights, Batten down the hatches and prepare to open your mind. For the Drunken Dows podcast begins now. Do, 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 do. Welcome back, everybody, to another fine episode of the Drunken Dows podcast, episode 165, as they keep stacking up. As across me, as always, my pal Daniele Bellelli. Welcome, welcome. Thank you, my man. I think it's time for the song. Go for it. Blue Chew, Blue Chew. You'll make your make coo when you crunch a Blue Chew. Y'all. Indeed. Yeah. We have one of the coolest sponsors ever that does magic things to your sex life. And, uh, you know, I think Rich and I are going to keep giving them shout outs long after they will drop us at some point. Yeah. Just to remind folks. It's it's good for the world. Yes. It brings lots of smiles to many people. So that's quite important. Blue Chew. The same good stuff that you find in all the big name brands, except that the good things, you know, from the Viagra, Cialis, all of that. The good thing of this is that it's chewable, so it goes into your bloodstream really fast. Uh, You can be sleepy, you can have drunk a tiny bit too much, and yet under the proper stimulation, magic will start taking place midway through your body. Well, and I think it's well described and carefully done as well. Thank you, thank you. I, I, the question I always get is like, oh, yeah, so I have to walk around? Nope. It's like, no. Absolutely nothing happens Til- until the moment where something excites you, and then you're like, oh, now I notice something. And for the mostly elderly folks in the room, um, it's just great. It just takes you back to a few decades back. It's yes. just kind of a, you know... It's not a situation where nothing's working. It just sort of enhances. Uh, yes, exactly. Adds the just little extra beautiful. And so my hope would be for folks that actually are like in full distress, it will probably help you as well. Most definitely. Unless you've done something medically that's not recoverable. Yeah, if you have performed self-castration during an act of religious frenzy, yeah, that probably... And who hasn't? Not the judge. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, we understand it happens, <laughs> but, you know, there are limits even to the magic of Blue Chew, but... Uh, yeah, but you don't walk around like an awkward 11th grader with a hot teacher having no. to go right on the board. It's not like that at all. It's no, just, it's not. Just sort of like when the time is right, you will ignite. Damn, more poetry. <laughs> you are a poet, indeed. <laughs> yes. So the good stuff is you sign up online, you get the goodies via mail, no doctor visit, none of that stuff. So 
call to action. We got a deal for you guys. Visit bluechew.com and get your first shipment free when you use our special promo code DRUNK and just pay $5 for shipping and that's it. So again, that's B-L-U-E, the word chew, dot com. Promo code DRUNK to try it for free. Savannah approved. I can hear the smile. <laughs> Yay. That's beautiful. That was, made me happy. Now, among... It's interesting how we have been typecasted into uh, uh, it appeals to a certain crowd, I guess. That's the perception that because another sponsor that signed up for us for these uh, four weeks. So we got the sex cover earlier and now we got the gambling part taken care of. Well, they definitely picked the right time because it is football season, and apparently people do like to gamble on football. No, I never heard of such I'd, a thing. I'd heard, I'd heard inklings of it, but apparently it is true, and um, these folks are here to help you out. If you don't, uh, if, the, if the guy at the bar who's the bookie is a bit shady and doesn't seem to pay on time, uh, these fellas claim that they're going to save that problem for you. You know what I've done? Um, the one thing that I did, football, I'm not up to speed enough to dare such things. Yeah. The one thing that I have bet consistently over time on has been MMA. Oh. And uh, how could you ever know, though? It's tricky, of course, because it's, it's always like, like, next thing you know, some guy comes in with a flying triple back all, kick to somebody's melon in the first two seconds, it and it's over. Can all change in one second, oh, but man. that's part of what's fun about it. So, overall, I've done okay, actually. So, I've well, had, who should uh, I contact to help me out with this situation? So, the sweet folks sponsoring us for these four episodes, which, if you have noticed, we are releasing at extra. Uh, intensity thanks to these people because they it's these folks are my bookie promo code Taoist yes indeed to activate the offer so promo code is Taoist and you get to go check them out you know if you join now my bookie will double your first deposit which is always sweet visit mybookie.ag today and there with the promo code Taoist. You can go and get your offer. And it's pretty much everything. Baseball. It's going to be the playoffs for baseball. Yeah. Basketball um, and hockey will be back running before you know it. MMA, of course, is available. Shit, auto racing. I never thought about that. Yep. That's a lot of pressure. Seriously. One tire goes bad. Yeah. I don't know. But for you, you know, for your folks that like to put a little action on the action. Check out these guys. Sweet. Sweet. So, of course, shout out to the usual suspects. Omnid.com, thank you so much for all the awesome products you have shared with us over the years. And again, if you guys can please check out their website and take a look at the incredible range of stuff they have there, that would be sweet. Omnid.com. Um, do we have a promo code? We always have some kind of promo code, don't we? Yeah. And uh, on it would be. Oh, you add, don't you add? Yeah, you on it.com forward slash. Yeah, it's forward slash Taoist. That's it. So on com forward slash Taoist, and you get an automatic discount on a whole bunch of goodies. You'd think we'd have cards for these yeah, things. Yeah, right or we would memorize <laughs> it like a bunch of years into it. But uh, so many. It gets of confusing. course, shout out to Short Design t shirts, who are awesome, and I love them. They make the coolest stuff ever in their honor i'm not wearing a short design right now but i'm wearing a tie-dye so i'm inspired by some of their design i had a spooky moment with the shirt design a few weeks ago what happened i was just sort of sifting through some old emails 
and it was an email from Bennett. Oh man! So he felt he was like, so nice. He was yeah. so excited, and I was like, hey, "You ever do a three X of those?" Not that I would need it anymore. Right. But he's like, "Oh man, I'll print you a bunch for sure. No problem." I Just, love Bennett. Yeah, a lot of people miss him. Yeah, of course, delightful human being. And you know the fact he's not around anymore, but Shore Design continues and brings money and jobs to a bunch of people in Thailand. We're happy to help. Sweet, absolutely. And of course, shout outs real brief to grasslandbeef.com who have been filling our stomachs with some incredibly high quality meats. Yeah, it's good stuff. Yes, indeed. And um, and of course, shout out also to Never Tap Gear, nevertapgear.com, Rush Guards. Knee braces. Knee braces. Thank you. My brain at the moment. Uh, speaking of sponsor, I'm in dire need of an alpha brain right now. My brain is not firing right. But yes, so shout out to these guys. And uh, with no further ado, let's jump into the episode. So today's moments have to do with the interesting and fascinating subject of beheading. So I can see how this is going to fit together. Right? This is going to be good. So this is from a few months back. My father was visiting. And, you know, when my father and Isabella played, they spend... I'm amazed by my father's playing stamina because he can play with her all day. Like they literally start in the morning and all day long they are just making stories up. And I hear them arguing with each other all the time. Like, no, that would never happen in a story. That's totally not realistic. No, come on. this is. And they bicker and argue about storytelling, but they essentially make up stories all day. And I'm like, I can do it for a while. I can't quite pull it off like that. In any case, so I usually get snippets of conversation because when he's around, it's like I barely see her for a few days. And uh, I hear from the next through part of this dialogue where my dad, like in explaining something about the storytelling, his critique of her story, I think, he's saying human nature is more than just revenge and cutting heads off. And there's a pause after that. And Isabella responds, sadly. <laughs> <laughs> And that was that. So I was like, okay, on that note, the <laughs> so that was part one of our beheading story. That just warm us up for part two that took place at school at the very end of fourth grade, so just a few months ago. So some boy in our class let out some secret in front of his and then realized that he said more than he should have said and start getting a bit overly aggressive about trying to defend the secret that he just spilled out. I forget what the secret was, but in any case. So the boy tells to his, if you tell anyone, I'll chop your head off. To which Isabella replied, no, won't happen. (laughs) And the boy's like, why are you so sure? And Isabella is, one, because you you lack the skills for a proper beheading. Nice. Two, because you lack the tools for a proper beheading. Three, because even if you had the tools, I would disarm, I would disarm you and drink wine out of your skull. <laughs> I was like, yes, uh, well-placed education has, uh, See? has achieved its goals. It's already starting to blossom. 
Yes. So I was like, okay, I can see how making up stories all day long about, you know, but I am trying actually for the sake of not, of society? For the sake of trying to balance my notorious psychopathic tendencies, you know, when we tenderly sit sit there watching The Punisher together or things like that. Like one night, I think I may have told you, one night Savannah comes back from training and there's me and Isabella are like cuddling on the couch, watching together in a tender father-daughter moment, watching TV. And when, Isabel, and when Savannah walks in, there is a, is a scene from The Punisher where he's shoving his thumb into somebody's eyes during a fight. And she look at us and they're like, you guys are vicious. And I'm like, yeah, tell us something we don't know. Well, you know, the family that slays together stays together. However, I must say, I have been instead making a point of trying to tell their stories that have nothing to do with bloodshed Ooh. or revenge or anything of that sort. I have... Um, I've, it's been a few months now. I started telling her the adventures of Paco, the taco-eating dog. And uh, they, uh, we go for humor, laughter, and uh, slapstick comedy, which tends to act as a good counterbalance toward instead the uh, aggressive <laughs> Conan-style stuff. I don't think you can go wrong with that. Right? So I'm co actually collecting. I'm looking at my um, desktop. And I'm collecting all kind of news about tacos. Never mind the fact Mark Chang, our former guest and great human, sent me a great... He has a Pacos Tacos next to him, because, of course, that's not a complicated rhyme. So I'm sure I'm not the first one who comes up with it. No. And then I saw uh, somebody sent me a newspaper clipping where there's, in the same newspaper, one on top of the other, there is Taco Saves Man's Life. And in this case was some guy who got pulled by his dog named Taco. I think he's like, he passed out and, uh, you know, nobody answered. And this dog pulled him to a place where his neighbors would see. And so they step in to help. Wow. So, whereas, and right under that headline, like the next story is Tacos take man's life. Oh, no. Because it's somebody who choked to death on Tacos. So it's the, how was it? The... Lion King, it's the circle of life. It is, yeah. You know, one, one door opens, one closes. Yes. It's tacos give and tacos take. I was watching, uh, there's a great new documentary on Woodstock, and I wish I remember exactly what the name was, but like yeah. 50 years after. But during the entirety of it, half a million people, though, two people died, but there were also two births. So <laughs> it all evened out so nicely. Right. You have uh, a perfect balance there, right? And there was... Um, that story was great. I, I had heard, like, during the, I, did we already talk about this? That during the Hendrix one down in Georgia, um, the food ran short and the townspeople, like, emptied the, the fields of melons and brought them so the kids wouldn't starve. I did not remember The that. same thing happened at Woodstock. Like, by day two, they were out of food. Right. And they were more worried about that than anything. Being out of food, that's when people get crazy. Yeah. <clears throat> and out of the blue, like, the people of, oh, what is it? Bellwether, or whatever that little town yeah. was, Bethel, um, emptied their pantries, emptied everything. Farmers brought hundreds of thousands of eggs to boil so everybody could at least get a couple you know, hard-boiled eggs and a little something yeah. to eat. And um, Wavy Gravy was this dude. and I met Wavy Gravy. Well, <clears throat> he was like the head of security for Woodstock. Oh, Jesus. <laughs> exactly. Because 
they were like regular security when these kids are tripping and, and have yeah. bad trips they're just gonna bash them on the head and make it worse and wavy gravy's approach was they brought trip tents freak out tents right to the edge of the property and if someone was having a bad time man yeah. they'd bring them in and somebody kind of talk you through it and a couple hours later when you're finally feeling a little okay again the next set would come in and he says see that guy over there that was you three hours ago your turn right the care of it and it right. took care of that and at the same time he had his little army of like they brought like a whole little commune of the wavy gravy folks out and they had stoves running the whole time so when these townsfolks showed up with all this crazy food they busted the pots out and just made whatever with whatever they had and fed everybody i think it was either probably 1993 i want to say or 92 i went uh, up in i think it was northern california he had this, uh, his land and he had this big concert there and it was quite a trip. That would have been and, awesome. Uh, I'm appropriately, as we speak of such subject, I'm wearing a tie-dye t-shirt. You look like you just got back from the show. Right. Um, Savannah made it, actually. Excellent. We had um, an invite from a friend who had this for, um, I don't even know what the holiday that is, Labor Day, Memorial Day, one of the those. The one we just had? Yes. That was Labor Day. Okay, that one. Or tie-dye day. Yes, tie-dye and pork day. So they <laughs> have like this giant barbecue, there was a ton of people, and then everybody makes tie-dyes. So That's not a super bad gig. Fun. Oddly enough, Gretchen was making tie-dyes two weeks ago too. We have new tie-dyed sheets. That's awesome. And she's getting ready for her herbal stuff, man. She's picking flowers and, oh my God, those are blah, 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 pull yeah. over and... It looks like a apothecary in my house. It's quite awesome. Hippie life rules. Yeah, it's pretty nice. Hmm. What was great about this Woodstock movie, it wasn't so much about the stars or the music and all that. It was the crazy guys that had the thought of putting it together. Mm -hmm. And like the nightmare of it going down, I think they lost their property three weeks before the show. Really? But they had already sold hundreds of thousands of tickets. How, why did they lose the... The, the town that it was going to be in was like, we're not having it. And they'd already like built most of the infrastructure. Stage was built, light poles were up. But I mean, why the property? Like, how did they lose? Uh... I think there's like a city council vote, and we're not having it. Oh, I see. And so they had like days, and when they went searching around, and this farmer, whose sadly name is escaping me right now, he's uh, like, "Yeah, yeah, I remember that. Guy. Yeah, go ahead and do it, guys. That's awesome." And that ended up being like a giant amphitheater anyway. So it yeah. was like more perfect than the previous place. But as it got down to it. You can either have a stage or you can have fencing around the area. Pick one. Because yeah. we can't get both done. Right. And it's like, well, then that's... Because there's something about... If you didn't gather the tickets back out, you couldn't do accounting for them, and people weren't going to get paid. Of course. It's like, oh, well, looks like it's free. That's funny. And everything should have gone wrong. But somehow, nobody got killed. The people got killed. One was uh, OD, of course. But only one OD yeah. out of all those people? Yeah. I guess it wasn't back in the fentanyl days. It's yeah. Different now. Different story. And... um. And the other guy was like foolish enough to set up his little blanket and shit underneath a tractor. Yeah, that's not usually a good idea. Maybe for a moment, but yeah. Yeah, that's... And so it was, I think it was day three, the rain had stopped for a minute and you know, the rain was pretty bad on yeah. the last day, but that's when like the real bands were there. And uh, the farmer came out and gave his appreciation to all these kids doing such a good job and proving everybody wrong. Because I believed in you. I knew you could have this party and everybody would be all right. And you did it. Other than the guy under the tractor, but, but yes. You know, yes. Some, half a million people, yeah. someone's not going to make it through the weekend. Yeah, I yeah. think that's probably statistically yeah, a safe bet. No matter what. Yeah, right. And uh, I just would have. 
He didn't have to do that. No, definitely didn't. And people gave him shit for a long time. But Became part of history, though. So. Big time, in a good way. Mm -hmm. That's yep. what I liked. I liked that the people, as much as like, these damn hippies, it's kind of, the tune kind of changed when the girls start getting naked down by the river, it I'm seems. I'm sure it did. A lot more, the, the, the reverend had to go check that out to see what sort of ungodliness was happening. Oh, speaking of which. Okay. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I finally watched, last time we were talking, we were talking about the Tarantino movie. Yeah. So I finally did watch it. Um, man, it's funny. Only Tarantino can pull off certain movies. Because it's like... The Nobody else could do that. The rhythm, like, okay, let's start with the fact that I really enjoyed it and Tarantino is amazing. Yeah. It's so fucking slow. It's yeah. not even funny how slow it is. Like for most of the movie, nothing happens. Hanging out, riding around in the car. It is, uh, okay, I must say, not as hard to do when you have Brad Pitt and Leonardo DiCaprio who are amazing. Yep. You know, their acting is just top notch. They yep. are really brilliant. And of course, Tarantino's writing is funny. But it's weird because it's, uh, you know, one end... The average attention, it's actually part of a bigger discussion because one thing that I'm noticing is that, you know, we, we hammer often on the fact that what you hear all the time around, average attention span has kind of gone down. Sure. And people want things in like bite-sized peels, faster, quick, get to the point, boom, next. That's not this movie. Definitely not. And that's, I think, is the counter side to it. That while that is all true and you do see it happening and it is true, you also have the other side of the story that is Tarantino, for example, or, you know, a series like Game of Thrones where they take 10 seasons with super elaborate plot lines and characters and backstories and counter things where it's super complicated. The, um, you have, I mean, Dan Carlin, right? It's like release twice a year an episode of a podcast that's six hours long each time about some particular aspect of history where it goes on. And, and the six hours is not just one episode. It's usually there's two or three of those on one part. So it's weird because it's one of those classic hits both at the same time. You know, it's like, yes, it's true that you have this aspect of we want bite-sized peel, short attention span, but at the same, in the same way, you also have people who are gravitating toward the opposite end of the spectrum. And there's more space for that. Because, I mean, think about, like, years ago, how many people would have given you, yeah, do six hours to do whatever you want, talking about history. Or, yeah, do a TV series that's... We got to uh, fill space. Right? It's, it's weird. It's very interesting. But, but Tarantino, though, is one of the last ones who can pull this off. Because when you think about directors, you know, back in the 80s, 90s, uh, definitely before that, 70s, 60s, and so on, directors were a huge deal in Hollywood. You know, directors were, oh, I'm going to watch a so-and-so movie. I'm going to watch a John Milius movie. I'm going to watch a Francis Ford Coppola movie. You know, that's... Now, if you think about most movies, I highly doubt most people have any idea who the director is. Oh, especially when you're getting these big tentpole movies and these... Nobody knows. Nobody cares. And nobody I cares. See part seven. Because they kind of look... This, there's not a style. You know, Tarantino, you don't mistake him for anybody else. You either love him or you hate him. Yeah. There's just not a whole lot of a middle ground. But when you watch his stuff, is you know that's a Tarantino movie. You know, there's no argument that there's a particular style. And yet, as much as that's cool and people clearly dig it, that's sort of a dying breed. Like, you don't see this thing about having a particular style in directing anymore. That's Well, when somebody's putting up $300 million for a movie, they don't want a particular style. No. They want cookie cutter, exactly yep. what worked last time. Even the same plot. Yep. 
these fucking Star Wars movies. Yeah, they're the same. It's the same one every time. Exactly. Oh, go blow up the big bad thing. Which would be great if you just say, okay, we'll make a remake. That would make sense. But, you know, you can't make a new movie that's exactly like the last one and call it a different thing. Uh, they seem to be learning their lesson at this point. I don't know. I think, um, wow, Tarantino, the conversations are so great. Yeah. It's fun to sit in and listen to him. The reflective moments where just stuff's happening. And hell, Brad Pitt did eventually get his shirt off, and the whole theater swooned. I can see the point of that. And I might have been the loudest. Yeah, right. But it's just so tastefully done, and let these things happen. And, you know, even spoiler-free, that movie is really just a story of a couple of guys who have been friends for a long time, and yep. it's all kind of winding down yep. after 15 years. How about the visit to Italy? How hilarious were those little moments? Right. Where, like he's doing a stunt and a little arrow, bing, yeah. you know. No, it's uh, it's really hilarious. It's funny. Yeah, I think it's funnier than anything. I and the violence I... in the end, oddly enough, for the people it was inflicted on, certainly felt deserved. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's like, good. That, by the way, was creepy as hell. There's a whole sequence where they are uh, in the kind of Manson family the hangout spot. Ranch, yeah. That That's was intense. creepy. Really intense. And <clears throat> the whole time you're thinking, uh-oh, something bad gonna happen. Yeah. And that's the genius of it man he sets you up and now this character's in this yeah. place and oh man he's gonna be in trouble yeah he's good and just draw it out and draw it out the um the, the owner bruce dern that was yeah. supposed to be um oh hell rich smoking the bandit was uh reynolds burt reynolds was supposed to be that character. oh really he was supposed to play it and they read him through the um the read through and everything and he dropped dead so yeah that's that would have been interesting usually though. create problems for yeah, acting absolutely Man, that's. I did, however, as a. Um, I kind of did agree with Shannon about the Bruce Lee thing. Uh, I thought I found it really uncalled for. Like it's, uh, you know, if you want to establish Brad Pitt as a badass character, you can do it. Pick somebody else. Why do you need to tweak Bruce Lee in a weird way to make it happen? That one, I was super like super iconic. It was fun to have Bruce Lee in some way, and plus, it showed him later, like teaching everybody yeah. their fight choreography and stuff, and. He didn't get besmirched that bad. Not, Bruce Lee's legend will in no way be affected no, by that. No, 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 not that. But he does look like a dick. Like, he does look like a complete dick where he's just like, this is an awful human being kind of thing, you know? It's not It's a, not a biography. Yeah, it's yeah. A, no, no, in fact. And I mean, and of other course. Other things are a bit alternate from this take But I think well. that's the thing. Is like, if you have a Hitler shot in a theater like the end of Inglorious Bastards, yep. that's fine. Everybody if you like have that. the Mansons, that's fine. You pick on an iconic thing that people love and tweak him to be a less than ideal guy. I can see how that would ruffle some feathers in he a way. He had a bad day on the set. He was a bit yeah. grumpy. It happens to all of us. You know, occasionally you meet people at the wrong moment. And right. Nobody can be perfect all the time, even the master Bruce Lee. Um, I thought it was a fucking hysterical scene. I, I enjoyed the it. whole movie. I mean, it was. Uh, there were moments where I'm like, I'm looking at the clock and I'm like, this thing is seriously still. We're not even halfway through. This is, is so unbelievable. Long. But um, did but you notice good. there was a moment when um, they did Leo remembering he was going to be in the Great Escape? Oh yeah, and they used him and they cut him in with the footage. But when she, when when um, Margot Robbie went to watch her movie, they didn't cut Sharon Tate out. That was Sharon Tate in the movie. Oh wow! Just to let her have a moment right. on the screen. And apparently, those people are happy with it. They're, her family's happy with right. it. Right. Well, she doesn't come across bad. No. And there was a lot of, you know, there's a lot of flack too. Oh, she had like 27 lines in the movie, but she didn't come across as vapid or anything. She was enjoying herself and having yeah. a great life and she was pleasant to everyone. Sure. 
and to go watch your movie that has to be a fantastic thing and to hear people laugh at the right moments around you yeah no i i don't think the treatment of sharon tate was bad Neither i thought I. it was uh was fine but yeah the whole thing was pretty funny tarantino yeah is a dying breed of these guys who have their own wild style approach to uh yeah he to gets movie making he gets and, to make uh, his cut of the movie too yeah and for those of us who live out here he is screening um 35 millimeter prints of that at his theater the new beverly nice so for the next several weeks you can roll in and there's always a possibility of running into tarantino he'll be checking out in the back of the theater which would be fun i think suppose there's a few extra scenes too so i don't i can't verify that i just heard rumor of it but yeah all that movie could have been longer (laughs) all righty I was on a streak at that point. I had the, I had this green pickup truck. I don't know if you ever saw the green pickup truck. It was like, but I got rear-ended on the PCH for some girl. With like, I was literally watching her in the rearview mirror, chat away on her uh, fucking phone. That sucks. Her skid mark was 12 feet before she came into me, like 40 miles an hour. Ooh, hit me so hard that it bent the like, the bed of the truck and where the cab was. Jesus. Um, so we went and got that fixed. Oh, she didn't even care. She's just more concerned about her car. Just not paying any attention. So it was a while to get that fixed, needless to say. But I go to get it picked up, and it's at night. It was kind of like Studio City. And a friend of mine took me over, and I was just going to go back to work after right. picking the car up. It's just yeah. better traffic ways 10 years ago to right. do it then. So get it picked up, get it paid off, get in the car. I drove nine miles. And as I'm coming up that big grade on the 405, um, Somebody had a tire underslung. You know, the underslung, it broke through. Oh, Jesus. Bounced like three times under the car and came, boom, swinging out. Ew, right. sound effects. And yeah. smashed right into the grill of my car. That's nuts. But if I had been a regular vehicle, that would have gone right through my windshield. Oh, that's nuts. That's so, insane. Radiator, everything Jesus destroyed. Fuck, man. You, need, uh, you need an exorcism. I don't know. I figured, Lord, if you don't want me to stay in L.A., send me a sign. Okay, my good man. You ready? So, story time. Here let, we go. Let's play with story time. Yes. Um, it's a story time more or less upon request, Ooh. in the sense that one of our faithful listeners and supporters, whose name I'm going to fuck it up as usual, Yanni Linima, maybe, maybe not. Sounds possible. Um, tell me he enjoy the tale of Galvarino that we told last time, the dude who had these blades placed in place of the stamps where his hands were cut off. And he say, in the vein of similar badass warriors, I'd like to nominate for your consideration a Finnish soldier named Simo Aya, who fought in the Winter War, which was the, um, the Finns versus the Russians. Now, there's actually an excellent episode that if people are interested in, I direct people toward, a podcast called History Impossible by Mr. Alexander Rather von Sternberg. Ooh. Sternberg? Yeah, I think that's pronounced correctly. Maybe. And uh, he does a whole episode on it. Uh, um, he's really good. He's uh, He does excellent historical podcasts. He's only done a few, and uh, the Simo Haya tale is one of them so far. 
So it's he helped me out too, and um, because I like his, because um, Simohaya is we're gonna see is one of the deadliest snipers ever. And then I did ended up doing the Ludmila Pavlichenko story, the female sniper for History on Fire, right. and that's what Alexander was helping me with. So that comes in handy. But in any case, this story, the Simohaya one, is you know you have the Soviet Union in 1939. You Mongols tank a zillion soldiers trying to invade Finland, which, with all due respect, it's a dot on the map, comparatively speaking, in terms of size. It seems like, topography-wise, not that easy to take over. There's lots of fjords and cliffs and there is, not a but, lot of flat land for tanks. But, there? you know, again, if you throw enough people, you can, you know, you the population of Finland versus the population of the Soviet Union, I think there are some mathematical problems into this. Now, and of course, the mathematical, mathematical problems will prove true. And so the war ended up lasting little over three months. And eventually the Soviet Union will manage to invade. Um, however, the, the whole thing was, you know, the Soviet military experts expected to take over in within days. Not quite that easy because for one, well, this was brutal for everybody involved, Russians and Finns, because... Winter was insanely brutal. Some of the temperature measured were in the minus 40 Celsius, which is also in the, actually applies also to Fahrenheit. This is about minus 45 Fahrenheit. I'm not going to accomplish much in that. If you just get a finger out of your glove, it's gone in about three seconds because you're going to just freeze like crazy. At this time, there was this guy, Simo Haya, was in his early 30s farmer who just happened to like hunting and was a good marksman so you know he grew up and but you know no previous experience lots of experience with the gun and not previous experience in direct warfare kind of thing well that changes quickly during the following 98 days of the war because again estimates are of course highly debatable when it comes to snipers but the general consensus is that he managed to get over 500 people in the course of his 98 days uh, during the Winter War. Wow. He would uh, he would do crazy things. He would uh, pack his mouth with snow so that you wouldn't see the heat coming out of the mouth, and right. he would give away his position. He would, um, you know, use iron sights rather than a scope so that you wouldn't get the glint the of the lens. Oh, my exactly. God, this guy was an expert. Right. Oh, no worries. I'm back. <laughs> um, you know, he did all these crazy things. Eventually, the typical thing that armies would do when you're dealing with really tough snipers is you shell, start, you shell the living hell out of the general area with mortars, hoping that one hits. And, you know, a bunch of times it doesn't, and they leave to fight the next day. Uh, in one occasion, eventually, there was one explosive round, put him in a coma for a week, Still survive, by the way. I mean, <clears throat> his face was torn apart. You know, you see his pictures later. He's pretty messed up. But he did manage to live an extremely long life after that. He, he, lived he survived the, all of it. He survived all of it and went on to live until he was 96 years old. And the Russians didn't scoop him up when they finally got to him? No, no, no. At that point, he was like, eh, okay, done and over with. Wow. But that's a crazy story because yeah it's a story of course where the small power gets defeated and there's no argument about it but there's a story kind of of resistance to the inevitable that seems quite insane 
when you're going against the home team, there's always a moment that, you know, they're going to dig in. Look at Vietnam. Right. Did I tell you, I was listening to the, um, the recordings of them pulling the drafts. Mm-hmm. 1969, very first one, my birthday. Oh, oh, one. Oh, that's. And even through time, it was like, what the fuck would you do? Yeah. Drafted to go in Vietnam. Zero, zero, like first. Like, yeah. See you in six weeks. Yeah. And just the thought of like all these guys listening on the radio. I think you could even watch it on television. That gets me going on an interesting tangent related to, <clears throat> I got an email yesterday from somebody reading uh, my first book, actually, on the warrior's path. And, you know, I wrote that thing so long ago that I Did I much, write that? Right. I kind <laughs> of like, somebody asked a question. I'm like, oh, I guess that is it there. I have zero memory of that. <clears throat> so there's one thing that has pissed off a considerable number of people. This guy was super polite and super nice about it. But he was also, unlike the ones who just got bent out of shape, he was very gentle, but he wanted a clarification on something. Because there's a part where I compare, and I'm not comparing actual individuals, I'm comparing archetypes, but sort of the archetype of the tribal warrior versus the soldier in, uh, in an army. And one of the things that I know that I emphasize the difference is that in tribal societies, usually there's a choice involved. You know, you are part of the decision making process of who are we going to fight? When are we going to fight them? Which tactics do we want to go about it? And the individual group has a lot of autonomy of how they want to run operations. The same does not apply to large armies where no. you have you are very far removed from the seat of power where choices are made about whether you go to war or not, who do you go to war against, and all of that, right? And then there's ain't no yelling <clears throat> at the generals when you're actually there. What do you, yeah. Sit down, private, before we lock you up. Most definitely. So one of the things that I, I guess I remember saying in On the Warrior's Path was that to me, that type of soldier where you have really no choice, you're kind of a pawn in the game, is sort of the opposite of uh, what the archetype of the warrior is. Which doesn't mean you can't be a badass or you can't be brave or you can't have kind of warrior spirit, but in terms of the agency involved, one has it and one doesn't. You know, one has a choice to make, one has no choice. You are a, pa you are a part of a machine. Now, the guy writing me was saying, look... That's not really the case now. You know, we're talking about modern, mostly we're talking about volunteer armies where you choose to go in. You do have a choice to get out if you don't like it. Of course, you're going to have dishonorable discharge or things like that. Or So, you know, but you still, you know, nobody's pointing a gun to your head and making you go fight if you decide that you don't want to. And I think my approach to that is like, while that is true, there are a couple of issues with that. One, the fact that that's an extremely modern development only in some countries today. That's definitely not the norm for armies throughout history. You mean you can't quit the Soviet army or the Russian army if yeah, you want to these days? None of that. Or like, I mean, I even think like my grandfather, he was recruited in the Italian army before World War II started. Didn't want to be there. Eventually managed, his unit managed to turn around and rebel against the regime once they were sure that they were not going to be executed sure on the spot. that was a safe trip. Yeah, that had to be terrifying. Yeah, so, you know, you do it when the odds at least become doable, not when you are sure that you're going to get killed. So, you know, it's all, to me, that sense is like, I get it, but A, that does not apply to most of human history, where typically being a soldier meant you had no choice on the matter. And B, 
is uh, even today I feel like the choice is of course there is choice but you know overwhelming majority of people they go in because they don't have money for college and they are going in hoping that and you know yeah nobody put a gun to your head making you go fight but there's definitely while it's certainly better in terms of choices compared to what you had in the past I don't exactly consider it a hundred percent free and clear choice here either no, and fighting for your tribe seems a very, very different thing than maybe not being conscripted in. But yeah. still, it's not like we're going to fight for Murfreesboro till it's gone, you know? It's, yeah, that's my point. So I do understand how, especially somebody who has been in the army for a long time, would be, or any branch of the military, would be a little bent out of shape about it. But A is not meant about the individual, it's saying nothing about the qualities of an individual soldier versus. He's just talking about the dynamics involved in that story. So that's kind of where, I guess, from this particular tale involving, you know, since we're picturing, yeah, most of the Soviet army getting thrown at the Finns, I'm sure they would have rather been somewhere else. They are not all chanting communist teams saying we're doing it for the motherland. Some will, but a bunch are not. Do you remember Enemy at the Gates? Right. Opening in Leningrad and they're like, Pushing them out. They didn't, nobody had a gun until yeah. you got to the front because they exactly. were collecting the ones from the dead. Yeah. And every other person got a gun and everybody got 10 bullets. Right. And if you turned around... You got shot by your own guys. Yeah. Yes, of course. Who in turn got shot by the other ones if they don't shoot you. Yeah. That's exactly what I'm talking about, you know? So to me, back to your question about you're drafted into some bullshit war that you have no... Hell no. Like, not in a million years. You know, that just makes zero sense to no, me. I, that, that's what erupted that time period, too. What an incredible, crazy moment. Yeah. I didn't realize the draft came so late. I when was it, that? It was 69. Really? Yeah. Huh. Like, apparently, numbers were way down. They're like, fuck it. We're going to draft them. Yeah. So that, I mean, I figured the fire was already building in yeah, the first yeah. place. Of course. No war. But to drop that on top of it that far into it, of course they all went crazy. That was a dumb choice. Yeah. That was, was a really it, dumb choice. I, and yeah, when you got to dig so deep, you got to take people kicking and screaming. Yeah. You might need to reassess what the fuck you're doing. Because what, what do we have to gain? Yeah. Oh, the communist Vietnamese were going to spread the communism. I love Fog of War is one of the most eye-opening movies ever. And I'm going to spoil the ending because McNamara said, if I could have got the right six people in the room in 64, 65, there never would have been a war. Right. Because I could have made them realize that those Asian countries have been fighting each other for 4,000 years. There's no love between them. And even if they all became communists, they would never band together. Sure. And there was just such ignorance. Well, and that was the thing. A lot of it is uh, Mr. Henry Kissinger, who, uh, when Nixon was coming and Nixon was actually hinting and not continuing the war in Vietnam initially. During not the till campaign after the election, trail. though. Exactly. And then, of course, when Kissinger came on and he was post-election, was like, hey, we cannot afford to look weak in Vietnam. We need to, nothing less than a resounding victory will do for the image of the United States. So in 68, when the Vietnamese were offering certain peace deals of returning POWs and kind of negotiating a strategy out for the United States, and then Nixon said, nope, not doing it, then what ended up happening five years later was accepting the exact same conditions 
So the, the same deal that would have made the US look bad in 1968, you take it in 73 after you have killed a gazillion people, your own people, you wasted billions of dollars. Talk about a monumental catastrophe of a defeat, you know, something that... And then, so the exact thing that the US was trying to fight against for eight years by that point, 10 years by the time the war ends in 75, happens, you know, Vietnam become communist and the apocalypse doesn't follow from there. It's no. not the end of the universe. That's we have crazy. factories there now. Yeah, that was, was nuts. And I mean, not to say, because I mean, communist Vietnamese government sucked. Um, less badly than many communist government around the world, but whatever, you know, nothing to... You're, you're not talking, you know, dictatorship in North Korea, starving some people. You're not at that level kind of thing. And incidentally, if we want to talk about shit like that, about nasty dictatorship that it's the U.S. intervention in Vietnam and everything that it did in that context that set up and opened the door for the Khmer Rouge in Cambodia, who then massacre. So the very picture of what you think would be the ultimate terrible thing that happens if a country go communist... Yeah. You just obtain it thanks to your intervention and creating a power vacuum in Cambodia. And wait a minute, good let, me job. Get, let me get my post World War II checklist off here. Let's see. Stop communism in Korea. That uh, worked well. That's still ongoing. Yeah. Vietnam, Vietnam failure, and then Cambodia destroyed. We didn't change anything. Yeah, no, that's one of the things where if you look at, uh, and I think at going back to the whole military thing in, of the discussion. I mean, I don't want to be, you know, our zinc kind of thing. I don't have a, but let's be real. You know, when you look at U.S. foreign policy, and I'm not glorifying any other country in that regard, because when I look at the foreign policy of pretty much anybody with serious power, I don't see, you know, puppies and flowers around. I see different governments doing fairly awful things. But when you look at U.S. foreign policy for decades and decades now, you are part of, you know, as Rage Against the Machine would put it, the evil empire, you know. Occasionally you do good things purely randomly because it's in your interest in that moment, but when you look at it, it's not a good picture. Again, this is not to say that there are not people who are wars. You know, if you tell me, do you prefer ISIS or the U.S. Army? Yeah, I'll take the U.S. Army. Okay, fine. But let's be real about it. It's like, so to me, the idea of signing up for a force that's essentially a tool in the hands of like some really Bolton. Yeah. I mean, how the ilk? fuck I understand that college is expensive, but yeah. I would have a couple of thoughts about that. A secretary of defense that runs Boeing. Yeah. And what that's could the other possibly thing. go wrong with any of these things. You could sign up. Let's say you have a, not that it ever happens, but let's say you have an amazing administration and you love the president and you think, I trust this guy to do the right thing. You sign up. Well, terms of services are long. Elections come up. You have no idea who the next one is going to be. Exactly. You have no idea who the next one is going to be in charge. You have no idea what the decisions are going to be made regarding how to use you in the context of being part of armed forces. I don't know, man. It leaves me... And I understand that's an unpopular take because there are plenty of people who are very pro-military in every which way, but... And I'm sure there are plenty of people who had great experiences being in it and all of that. I just don't see it. Like, I I have... uh, zero problems with the idea of uh, volunteering for a specific 
thing that I agree with. Sure. I have major problems with not knowing where you're headed. I'm just part of this thing. Wherever they send me, it's where... Oh, which is a nice part of uh, Afghanistan. Yeah, it's like that I have a bit more issues with. I have a tiny crazy thing to add that I saw. We went to the Getty uh, Villa. By the way, oh. helicopters are flying overhead. There's right helicopters <laughs> overhead right now. We're not quite sure what's going to happen. <laughs> Billy's busting out the AR-15s. I think we're going to be all right. Let me state that again. The military is amazing. We love, we think they that... such a fine job. Please fly the flag high. They're, they're really good at their um, accounting because huh. that's always to the dime. Oh, yeah. There's not trillions of dollars mysteriously missing. And the helicopter has gone away. <laughs> Fooled him again. Um, Getty Villa, uh, a lot of that's based on a villa that was destroyed by Vesuvius. Mm-hmm. And they dug that shit out and all those murals and all those mosaics, just incredible. But one painting that they, or painting, what is it? Uh, when you put it on the wall, is it a fresco? Anyway. Whatever it's called. Um, was these dudes looking like they were boxing. Mm-hmm. But on their fists oh, yeah. were stones, like mm-hmm. bashing stones or whatever. I bet the rounds didn't last very long when you had a couple of those on your hands. Yeah, ancient Roman stuff, you know, these guys are gladiators. So why would they even have boxing? Well, boxing was exactly the glove was not designed to definitely not to protect the other guy's face. That's no. not even true today. <laughs> um or your hand, the glove was a weapon. You had these like studs on top of the gloves to do as maximum damage as you possibly could as you pummel each other. Crazy. They, um, there was papyrus um, scrolls that survived that volcano. That's insane. And they kind of like cooked together, but some cat invented, because they weren't completely ash, they're kind of like caramelized almost. Yep. And there'd be like 60, 70 layers rolled up. He invented some crazy little machine that would gently pull them slowly apart. And then when they finally got them unwound, some bastard had to get through and copy. Now, they didn't speak Latin or anything, right. but they would copy the symbols. Of course. And then somebody else would do the translating. And then they would make plates of those things to print them in books. It's hard it was work. all like 50 gallons of wine arrived this week. And it was nothing really like that's when, that's inside. when you think long and hard about whether you want to write something down or not because oh, the yeah. process is intense. Well, my little books are going to change the world. Why didn't they fix it? Dive in. Okay. We got, oh, another supporter of ours who plays into today's gig, Bethany McBride. Hi, Bethany. Here, okay. Bethany can, is not shy with words. Let's put it that way. There's an email that's about like 502 pages long. Ooh. All good stuff. It all makes sense. Um, now, one of the key things that is brought up here is the idea that you know, we, we chat a bunch about uh, sort of creating modern tribes and the whole notion of community and tribe as something that's needed to counter all the loneliness and alienation that characterize much of modern society. She so gonna wreck it for us? Uh, no, <laughs> but there's the question of, you know, not 
how is this different from uh, what, uh, let's say, the churches are doing? How do you prevent something like that from turning into a, either an organized religion or a cult? Now, that's obviously an extremely good question, the one that one should be very mindful of if yeah. any time you're trying to create something that involves more than three people. I'm nodding like crazy over here. It is a danger. We were just reading about Jim Jones yesterday. Right. How does it go down? Yeah. There's a whole series, by the way. Um, Daryl Cooper from Martyr Made Podcast is doing a whole Jim Jones series. <sighs> it's funny, though, because Daryl is so... I mean, he's so brilliant. He has this, like, Dan Carlin take the big view. Like, there's one episode, for example, I think the latest he released. I'm like, two hours in, there's nothing about Jim Jones in that episode. It's all Martin Luther King, civil rights movement, and because it's kind of like giving what you a real wide context yeah. in order to then make sense of what's going on. It's brilliantly done, but yeah, it's another. It's probably going to be another one of those, like, 20-hour kind of epic things well, i hope he calls the episode the final episode see you in ghana right because that's that <laughs> it's yeah, just man. the craziest thing man it's a weird story and they were actually had i think it looks like the whole event got rushed too because uh some sort of political figures were showing yeah. up and investigating and yeah like yeah stabbing and they, and and they the, killed the congressman yeah yeah, yeah. That all that craziness went out shot yeah. him at the airport and no, the whole story is crazy. But yeah, so far he has only covered the early part. They are still in US. They're still, uh, but even early on, the Jim Jones story is pretty weird. Like he's weird because he comes, you know, you hear Jim Jones, you think like, oh, bad, evil guy. And of course he was because he was crazy. Sure. But you see a lot of the stuff he was doing early on. He was a hardliner for civil rights at a time and place where that wasn't popular at all. He did crazy good thing for poor people, for um, especially black people, um, for minorities, but especially black people. He did a bunch of stuff that was, but then he becomes Jim Jones. And, and, you know, he kind of was always that to begin with. Like he had this clearly something in his brain wasn't fully well adjusted, which made him different in a good way early on in yeah. some ways, except being paranoid and weird. But when and the then that, that part started growing and growing and growing until it became just pure madness. It's really like there's no, it's sort of like the way the fame destroys all of our rock stars. Yeah. Like once you get up to a certain point of popularity and people are kind of believing everything mean, you do, I mean, it's poison. I don't know if you followed the, if you have seen the trajectory of Conor McGregor in MMA. I. Yeah, it seems it's like he's getting crazier as he goes, and it's just the more he's a ruffian out in the world, the the happier a group of them get to be, and more of the followers. Because when of... he stepped up, he was not only a great fighter, yeah, but he was also funny. I mean, his trash talking was a comedy act, right? He That's was gone just... now, right? It's just hateful. And then he became progressively less funny and more just messed up. Yeah. And then it just became all the war stereotypes about success and the cocaine and the lawsuits and punching people in the street every three seconds and anger and this and that. And, and then it's not funny anymore. You know, like his trash talk is just mean. And you're like, whoa, 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 what happened? You know, you start you start running with something and you are hitting all the right spots, both in the cage and outside. Then he lost. And you started now hitting every single wrong spot, both in the cage and outside. Yeah. And it's like, wow, talk about a parable of success heading a wrong way. And I've done a lot of thinking about this whole tribal mindset and how would you do it. Yeah, when, let's go back to and, and how question. you would dangerously yes. end up, you know, 
if you did get a nice tribe of 120 people running, yeah. how soon does jealousy develop amongst other tribes? Of and course. Get that sort of intertribal stuff going on. That could be a difficulty for sure. But even within your own group, like you said, what if there's one shitty neighbor at your little commune or whatever you have? The yeah. danger of that. The only, I think the best sort of hopeful is the summer camp concept. Which maybe is like what people have been doing up in, in the Northeast. Like the summers where they'll make their way up to the Catskills and just get away from the heat. And, and then just their... do their own thing, right? Yeah. Yeah. No, I get that completely. And I think it's part of the problem with just human beings, you know, that you talk about any structure is bound to get fucked up eventually. Because once the team gets going, now you're just rooting for the team. You're not even There's that, for sure. It. And also there's just human quality. You know, like think about systems of government, for example. Give me a monarchy. In the hands of an amazing human being, I have no problem with the king. That's never the case. In the hands of a shitty human being, the monarch is a disaster. Yeah. Give me an aristocracy in the hands of like truly the best people in a society running government. That can work fine if they are doing it for the benefit of the people and they are using their talent. But most of the time it turns into an oligarchy where it's just a few assholes who run the show are terrible people. A democracy is a sweet concept, except that in many cases it turns into complete mob rule where completely ignorant people vote based on who promised them How to give them more. How could that ever happen? And so it's like, to me, I think it, it, the problem with the question, not that there's anything wrong, actually it's a great question and it's something that everybody should be mindful of when they are trying to engage in things like this. The problem with the question is that there is no abstract way to answer it that applies to all cases. It's very case by case. It depends on uh, how it's applied by those individuals in that situation. The same answer may not quite work. Like you give the best answer in the world to a bunch of stupid people, it's not going to work. They are going to turn it to crap in about 0.2 seconds. So it's one of the things that I think is uh, is a good uh, warning sign to keep up there. Is like, hey, don't drink the Kool Aid. Don't <laughs> turn <laughs> literally. Don't turn into a cool into a cult. Remember what happens to organization. Remember what happens to all that. I think that's absolutely important to have. But other than that, there really is no specific guidelines because again, in the hands of their own person, you can give twenty five step by step detailed instruction, and they are still gonna turn it to crap. You know, doesn't matter how. So I think that's maybe it's a cop out on my part, but I really don't think there's a way to answer that in a way that's satisfactory. That's like, oh, if you just do this, you won't turn into a cult. No, it still can. It really depends on who's running the show, who's in there, who's playing the game. You know, just watch for the guy with the guitar. That's the one who's always the yeah. I mean, today we all. We mentioned Charlie Manson already and uh, Jonestown. So there's a. <laughs> we got a street going. We are stalked on the cult series.
So in a dark world in which the earth is burning, nuclear powers are threatening each other on a daily basis, uh, reality TV stars can become presidents of powerful countries, all that stuff, there is a ray of hope out there. Tell me. Yes, especially, you know, divorces out at crazy high rates. Uh, um, people are bemoaning the end of romantic love, all that stuff. Now, I think a lot of this is bullshit, but regardless, the point being, let's go for the ray of light. Now, I cannot think of a single role model for happy couples in movies or literature or anything that's as good as the one that we're going to play with right now. All right, my mind is reeling. Now, most of the time, you know, you have the adventure, the story, the boy and the girl finally get together, and then they live happily ever after, because nobody has a damn clue what the archetype of a happy, lasting relationship is. Sure. You know, I was, um, Isabella was watching Friends, remember that TV show? Mm-hmm. Like, when a couple of the characters, when they get together, they get so insanely boring and obnoxious and weird. And so it's like stuff like that is exactly the problem of why people do the happily ever after. Because they don't know how to, how to show a relationship that's not just based on novelty and drama and overcoming the odds. But when it's become too day-to-day reality, it gets rough, right? And so there are no good role models for that. There are except. The bright exception to our stories. I wish everyone on Earth could have a relationship like Gomez and Morticia Adams. Oh, they are in love, aren't they? They are adorable. They are. He's always crazy passionate about her. She's always doing this thing where she's clearly in love with him. They adore each other. They share the same, shall we say, hobbies. Uh, Cutest cutest couple ever in history you get uh, like seriously give me uh, what couples can we think of in uh, either literature or movies that are any cooler than gomez and morticia adams and by the way if you guys never watch the adams family either in the tv version or the film version repent and fix your mistakes both versions very nice too Yes. I do prefer TV, but that's what I was raised on. So. Yeah, and I think that's another thing. TV is awesome. Like, I loved it. Same thing. You know, I saw it growing up. I watch it now. Back to one of the themes that we have been playing with. It's definitely slow compared to, like, the beat of the jokes, the beat of the build-up and stuff. It's... Uh, it was just a different time. Yeah. And plus, they were trying to fill space. back. It's funny you mentioned that because we... Yesterday was literally, like, the, the 56th, 53rd birthday of Star Trek. Yeah. And so we have the DVDs and just put the first episode on to see. It's not zippy moving along. No. And really, a lot of it is just a Western in space. Yeah. And like the slow, same sets slow, where slow. Uh, Matt Dillon was hiding out with his rifle. Yeah. Uh, so Kirk's there with his phaser. And it's just, it was interesting to see. I don't know. Things were a little slower back then, but uh, I'm fond of saying it's almost like the machines are trying to see how fast they can make the people go these days. Yeah, Everything's no. got to be so quick. And I have no I don't problem. It's actually a great thing. No, I have no problem with that. And uh, and again, the glory of Gomers and Morticia Adams deserve all the time it needs to get into it. Yeah, because 
it is funny. I mean, when you look at them, they are happy. They are sweet. They are into each other. They are weird as hell in a similar way that click very well with each other. Well, that's important. Perfect. I know a couple's about to be 25 years married. Do tell. Maybe we should make... Oh, me and Gretchen. Right. No, I know. It's unbelievable. I know. That's what... How does that feel? Doesn't feel like 25 years. I guess that's a good thing. Yeah. And there's, you know... You know, some years definitely easier than others. Of course. But it really kind of feels effortless. It has effortless is good. You know, sometimes it's all got to be luck. Or I've always thought just pheromones. We, right. like, we like each other's smell. Right. And beyond that, who cares? You can deal with most anything else. Everything else. If you click together that way. Yeah. I don't know, man. It was just one of those. And the. Tell somebody, oh, if you just wait and try to find the right person, it just sounds like bullshit because we literally just stumbled into each other and everything went click, 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 click. Yep. And um, I don't know. I'm actually pretty proud of it, man. It's not, but it, it doesn't feel like it's been an effort. Well, I'm not, I would never say it's easy because it's not. No, of course. But, but that's huge right there because, I mean, sometimes it's uh, because you have never had anything better. You stick with stuff that's really you probably shouldn't be sticking with. And you're like, well, but there are the good moments. And so, you know, you, but it is constant effort. And, you know, if that's what it feels like, eh, there are questions about whether that's ideal or not. Yeah, that would not be. It's like, I live through the misery for the 10 seconds of happiness that yeah. come along once every six months. It's yeah. a hard way to do it. I, what people do ask, and I think the thing we've come up with is we've never been afraid to call each other out on our bullshit. And sometimes when I might be grumpy for no reason or something, it's like, look, man, Get I know you're in a the bad program, mood, right. but there's no reason for that. And vice versa. And just by having these pressure release points more often right. than letting shit build. Oh, yeah. No, that's for terrible. years. That's terrible. You remember that time six years ago when you bought it? No. That creates disaster. It is. But yeah, I think Marticia and, and Gomez are a great example. Right. Because they definitely dig each other's chili. And uh, that makes it easier by itself, too. I like them. To but have. it's just, you know, just to have somebody who you assure is your ally, you know? I've never not felt that way. Even our angriest, most fucked up little moments, I never felt like she was against me. Right. That's huge. That's important. And perhaps just lucky. So everybody... You know, get your fix of the Adams family, and that's something to strive for. Keep Absolutely. that in mind. If your relationship doesn't match to Morticia and Gomez, then uh, you know that there's something more out there. music means one thing that's the end of another fine episode of the drunken Dallas podcast we've covered quite a bit today it was sort of serial killer week but uh or cult leader we did it all from cults to the army to the greatest loving couple in history of you know we covered it all it's a nice combo yes let's say thank you to some sweet folks who donated to us which is always appreciated i love this part let's go fuck up their names let the pottering begin Thank you to Jim D'Amico, Matt Chebre, Jesse Ran... Oh, God. Jesse. That's a tough one, isn't it? Uh, let me try it again. Rantakangas. Rantakangas? Maybe. I don't know. Sorry, Jesse. 
Yanni Linima, Aaron Weisner, Christopher Parcel, Jonathan Waterloo, Stephen McKee, Luis Pesquera, Thomas Robinson, Ross Cranham, and Jesse Hefford. Thank you, everybody. You guys are awesome. Thank you so much. I want to give a quick shout. Kiva.org continues to grow like crazy. I think we're up to 220 members. We'd like to get that bigger. We invite you. Come. Take $25. Give it a try. I bet once you do it once, you'll do it over and over again. So give it to Kiva.org and be sure to join Team Drunken Dallas when you select somebody to give a donation to. Not a donation, a loan to. You uh, put the money out, they pay the money back, and you can loan it out again. So it's just a fun, great thing, and it really is like a top-notch charity group. So Love check it. it out. Check it out indeed. Uh, those of you guys who never decided to join the Sweet Folk donating, but you like to listen to us, one thing you can do that doesn't take a lot of time. Or, Send whiskey. And zero, yeah, that oh, too. Shit. And zero money is uh, please use our Amazon link when you shop on Amazon. It helps us. It's, you know, sure. It's pretty much the minimum possible requirement. It's like it doesn't require you to donate one cent. You don't need to do anything. Just click the damn link, please, and it will help us out. So Especially if you got a TV purchase in your future or yeah, something like that. Yeah, that's nothing crazy to ask. <laughs> Remember, they don't count purchases if they are already in your cart. You have to click the link. It opens the Amazon site, and then you can search for something, buy it, boom, then they give us credit. So And it costs nothing extra to you. It's yes. all off of their end. If you can do that, that's delightful. Uh, shout out to, well, all the sponsors we mentioned in the open. So we got the glory of Blue Chew. Thank you to MyBookie. Thank you, of course, to Onnit and Shore Design. And big shout outs to grasslandbeef.com and nevertapgear.com. While we are at it, shout out also to snowroast.com who makes some delightful coffee and have a discount code for Drunken Taoist listeners code TAO number 18 for a discount. There you go. These are sweet folks. Thank you, of course, to Daisy House for letting us use the music. And um, is this a wrap? That's it. This is indeed. Okay, I got to go teach class at Santa Monica College. Let's make it happen. Oh, we did good. And so ends another awesome episode of the Drunken Dows Podcast. Be sure to keep your ears peeled for another mind-expanding episode coming soon. We'll be tweeting you as they come out. You can keep track of Daniele at D-Bolelli. That's D-B-O-L-E-L-L-I. And you can find me on Twitter at Richimon1. R-I-C-H-I-M-O-N and the numeral one. We'll see you all soon. Woo! Maybe I don't want to hear this. No, you don't. <laughs> in questo caso, in questo caso, le provvidenza di Dio. Duncan showed you the way, huh? Oh man, isn't that scary to think? Nice. So don't kill people, do that instead. <laughs> this was great.
It's fucking awesome. And I love this conversation. I have nothing against chicken other than the fact that they are ugly and weird and strange. We've been no, having a great hour nice. here. Dun, dun, dun. I completely got lost. Are we doing the outro or the intro? We're outro. Oh, we're out. Okay, sorry. So that's. <laughs> So let's continue. Did you ever see the movie Tombstone with uh, Val Kilmer and... Uh, uh, your accent, it just... Whatever that movie is you were trying to tell me about... Can you translate for me, please? I believe the word was Tombstone. Yeah, that one, exactly. <laughs> just as I was saying, you know, Tombstone. <laughs> now, most everybody thought... <coughs> Sorry. Well, <coughs> we'll do a cut on there. Or not. That was something else. <laughs> That's a bit too powerful. <laughs> What do I have to do? One day the rod shall teach you. Get back to work. Funky. Podcasting. It's like radio, but you can cuss. Wow!